Welcome to Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. I'm film critic Gary Kogel, and today, a wonderful new film by Disney. It's about a girl living on the streets in Uganda. Oh, and guess what? She eventually becomes a celebrated chess champion. The film is called The Queen of Katwe. And I'm wine expert Haley Hamilton Kogel. I was especially moved by this week's film. I think I found the perfect pairing for this tenacious young girl, Truve Wines from the McBride Sisters. And we had a chance to visit Austin a few weeks ago with the wine group Zonin 1821, joining them for the Lone Star Le Mans race event. We'll share some highlights later on today's show. Hey, the Queen of Katwe. So we go into the theater, and we've had good luck with Disney. Disney's doing some good films this year. Disney's been really good, I think, for a while now. I mean, we look back earlier. I mean, not just... Usually we think of their animated films, but, you know, I think The Jungle Book's one of the best five films I've seen all year. year, Maybe one of the best two. But this film comes along, and uh, it wasn't on my radar uh, that it was a Disney film. But it started... It's really an ESPN project along with Disney. And it was based on a book written by some ESPN writer about this girl on the streets of Uganda. And it's directed by Mira Nar. Mira Nar directed a street, a movie years ago on the, on the streets of Bombay. Not similar to this film, but the look of it is and shot with all local people that lived on the streets. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who's an actor and who's not in this film in the Queen of Katwe, but that was called Salam Bombay was nominated for an Oscar. It was difficult to watch in a beautiful film. Mm-hmm. This looks like it's all shot in the streets. Oh, very much so. Yeah. And, and this girl They're is so grown- poor. So the girl is, they're Living so in poor. And it's David Oyelowo, mm-hmm. who was in Selma. Mm-hmm. And I think a wonderful actor. And he's a local guy. He's kind of a, he's not a minister, but he kind of is. Kind of working like in a, in a ministry or a, he's a missionary. By the, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's supported by the, by a ministry. But his whole thing is, is, is sport. Yes. And so he, because he is, as we kind of learn, is also a, a, a soccer player, football player. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so the sport isn't, you know, your traditional sport. It's the sport of the mind. It's, it's the sport, sport of chess. And which, he does play soccer, yeah. and he's very good, but he wants to engage all these kids in chess. And most of them can't read or write. Right. And so they start playing chess, and they they get pretty good. And he starts entering them in competitions, and then walks this little girl, because it's kind of a macho male guy thing. Well, yeah, because her brother's kind of yes. a participant, and so she's watching. And all of a sudden, then she tries to go in, and and she becomes great—not good, great. but great. And the movie's about she's her jer- her j- journey, not only learning to read. But learning to play chess and being brilliant. I mean, it's so inherent in, in her DNA, I think. Yeah. And then, um, I don't want to give everything away, but she starts entering tournaments and it's a, it's a life changing experience. Lupita Longo, who won the Oscar for 12 Years a Slave, is her mom. And for the first half of the movie, she's kind of quiet. And then for the second half of the movie, I think it's an Oscar level performance for me. In fact, I think this movie, get some kind of Oscar attention. I don't know what, maybe a screenplay. Well, and the little girl, I think, did a, a great girl. job. So don't they do like a young actor award? No, they do that in the <laughs> Critics' the, Choice Awards. In the People's Choice. They don't, they don't do that at the Academy <laughs> Awards. Okay. So you have this great actress, Lupita Longo. You have David Oyelowo. And then you have this new little girl. And I, I think this is something. It premiered at the Toronto Film Festival. It, it's just come out in theaters. Um, I think this is one of those movies that you have to seek out and go find because you're not only going to thank yourself for doing this, but you're going to learn something about these kids and about the streets and about Uganda and about 
I mean, it it makes it, you so thankful. It seemed so. It seemed so so realistic and so um, accurate. Yeah. You know, it it really accurately depicted. And I I also think that it was interesting because it shows a lot of the kids kind of. Um, you know these 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 children that are living in the slums, watching kids that are going to school, and and you know it's it's kind of the whole if you if you if you give people the ability to have water, then it will change their lives because this girl, in addition to just selling, you know, almost rotten vegetables on the street yeah, to she try sells to make corn a dollar, on the street. yeah, and yeah. salt. Um, that that a big part of her day is just walking to get water and and. I appreciated the authenticity of that. Yeah. It really comes out in this film. And I think the music is great. And then they do something at the very end that I won't tell you what they do, but when the closing credits roll, it is the coolest thing. And it seems so logical that other movies should do this a lot. Mm -hmm. But but, but wait till the end of the movie because, you, you, I mean, you're, you're yeah, so... It's an uplifting film and it's a very cool film. And it's not a dumbed-down film. It's a really smart film about a smart kid you know, living in almost an impossible situation. I, I, I think it's great. So we're, we're watching and bad decisions that get made because <laughs> you know that's just it. The more I think about it, it's it's just it it did seem to be a very accurate portrayal of of probably uh, not just this little girl, but just life on the streets of Uganda. You know, and the simplicity of little things that make your day, mm -hmm. like like having a window, mm -hmm. like having you know a roof. Mm -hmm. You know, when the floods and the monsoons hit, what's going to happen to where you live? Things that we don't think about a lot, unless you're in a flood zone mm -hmm. in America. But it's just, it's the, it's the basics. And so grateful. These people are so grateful in this movie. I, I just think this is a slice of the life movie that, that needed to be told. And it's an expert example of diversity in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And when we start talking about complaining about not having enough diversity in movies, then go make some. And we're seeing a bunch of films now that got made. These have been in the planning for quite a while. So that's the question, because yeah. it does seem like we, we've we seen a lot of, of kind of strong African-American roles in films this year. Yeah. Um, but just because, you know, everybody made that, that stand last year, it's not like, oh, 20 films got made in the last six months. So right. it's it's a lot of that kind of has to do with, with distribution. And when, so like, when was this film shot? Do you know? I, I assume it was shot last year. Okay. I, I assume, assume it was shot in 2015, maybe early, early 2016. But I, I, you know, it takes a long time to get a movie made. Right. And they, and they, they get on the it's docket of when they're going to get released. So I, I'm, I kind of want to think in a really great way. Everybody's reacting and we're making really good movies because, but you know, this issue in Hollywood of diversity has been going on for a number of years, mm -hmm. but it's, it's going to be addressed and it's being addressed on screen at least this year. Yeah. They're just really great films that are finally. There's so released. many films coming that, mm -hmm. that really are good examples and, and including this one. So I like this. So I'm thinking of the Queen of Katwe. What kind of wine are you thinking about? So I, I, you know, and kind of thinking about this, and and almost the same statement of diversity in Hollywood is is diversity in winemaking, which there's not a lot of, <laughs> no. um, both with uh, with race as well as gender. <laughs> so to find yeah. um, two sisters that are women, obviously sisters, as well as African American that um, have have created a wine company is is a very rare thing, especially then when you kind of learn their story. And so it's the McBride sisters. They started Truve Wines a handful of years ago. 
um, Robin and Andrea, they um, have the same father. They had different mothers. One grew up um, in Central Coast, California wine country, the other in New Zealand. I'm pretty sure that's exactly right. Um, but both grew up in wine regions, not really as wine um, winemakers or in the industry at all, but just kind of around wine. But they never knew each other. They never knew they had a sister. And so they had the same mother, same, um, or they had different mothers, same father, and it was their father's kind of dying wish that his daughters would meet, and they did, and wow. they came together and and realized they had a, a mutual love and, and kind of passion for wine and created um, the this wine brand, and um, it's very approachable. It's it's inexpensive wine. Um, I want to say they do a Chardonnay, they do a rosé and a red blend, and it's like 15, 20 buck wine, um, sold in a lot of Kroger and Tom Thumb stores. But it's, it's their passion for, for doing something, um, having, having their story told through the grape that I think is really special. They also have a, they're not winemakers. They own the company, but they have a female winemaker, which I also love, um, as I get on my, my female bandwagon for the Queen of Katwe. Um, and, and I just, I think it's really special. We had their rosé just the other day, and it's so light. It's a blend of, of kind of red Rhone varieties, so Syrah-based. Um, and so it's filled with lovely kind of wild strawberry and ripe fruit l- flavors, some nice citrus kind of tangerine watermelon notes. Really, really lively and fresh and just a beautiful kind of summer wine from from two people that are kind of change in the industry, which which I'm pretty impressed with. At what age did they find each other? Uh, one was, I want to say, 16, and the other was 22. So it's, they're, you know, they they really didn't know each other. I think I've they, seen they, them on television. They did. CBS Sunday, or I think CBS News or CBS Sunday Morning. Somebody yeah. did a story. That's how we first got introduced to them. So, and, and I think the rosé is very good. It's lively. It's fresh. It's beautiful. Yeah. And not super pricey. No, it's exactly. It's also affordable. I think that was one of their other goals. They have a few other lines of wines that are a little bit more expensive. They have a New Zealand label as well. But their California wines are kind of meant to be that that really approachable price point, which is nice. Wow, nice. Good wine and the Queen of Katwe. Yeah. Good film. Hey, when we come back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing, as Haley said earlier, we had a chance to travel to Austin, Texas a few weeks ago for the Lone Star Le Mans race. And man, was it fun <laughs> and loud and fast. Very We're going to talk about some of the great wines we enjoyed with Zonin. And what are the best films about maybe Formula One racing in the history of movies? We'll be right back. And we're back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. And recently, Haley and I went to Austin, Texas. Kind of a -a one-of-a-kind experience as we witnessed the Lone Star Le Mans event at the Circuit of America's racetrack. First time reaction by you was... Wow. How are we here? (laughs) First time reaction by me was, wow, wow, wow. Yeah. It was cool. It was so cool. And and, and we're going to explain kind of our experience of this, but it brings up the idea of racing movies. Yeah. Because we're trying to talk about that in the car. What Great Formula One, great racing movies, there's not a lot of them. Mm -hmm. There's been a bunch of mid-level ones, and most of them are older. So the most recent would be Rush. Mm Mm-hmm. 
which was also the name of a drug movie years ago. Oh. <laughs> but Rush was the, the Formula One movie with, what's that? Uh, Chris, Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Mm-hmm. But it's directed by Ron Howard. Yeah. So when a Ron Howard movie comes along, I always kind of get excited. Yeah. And uh, I, I, this, to me, was the lesser of the Ron Howard movies. But, you know, and fast cars and all that stuff, and it all looked like it was so CGI'd out. It, all <laughs> it looked, did. All the people, the, yeah. no one in the stands looked real. And what's weird about movies, I think about Formula One racing and any kind of racing on television, although NASCAR does it better, but Formula One, it's, it's hard to capture on a straightaway how fast they're really going, right. how loud they really are. And once you have that experience like we've had, now it transposes it. when I see it on TV. I kind of perk up now. Yeah. And I kind of get it. You know, when they're going by 140, well, 260 miles an hour, it's you're, loud. You're exactly right. I think that you can't really feel the adrenaline and the rush. And the power uh, and, the, and the rush. Exactly, yes. of, of those cars because they almost, like, they're going so fast. Yeah. But it almost is perceived as they're not going very fast at all, which is which is kind of an odd thing when you see you know a, a cars on a racetrack, right? Because, it, because TVs are kind of flat, yeah. you know. It's just it's just that kind of two dimensional rather. You know, when we get into um, uh, virtual reality television, racing movies are going to be really. Yeah. They, they could be really <laughs> there was another one in 1977 called Bobby Deerfield, and it was uh, I think it was Al Pacino, but it was a Sidney Pollock movie, and I remember seeing that film. As a young man. <laughs> and it was a romantic movie because I remember this. He was a race car driver in it and he had a girl in it and he fell in love and it was all nothing really kind of worked out, but it was all shot in Europe. And I thought it was really cool because they shot around Lake Cuomo. Oh, nice. And so there was some cool racing in it. Mm-hmm. I never believed Al Pacino as a Formula One driver. Because yeah. <laughs> he was still <laughs> well, he's little though. Because so this was 77. <laughs> so the Godfather was still in my mind yeah. and all those things, but he was such a big star at the time. And the movie was somewhat of a flop. One of the best was a James Garner film, and it was called Grand Prix, and it was in 1966. So it's a much older film, and it's a John Frankenheimer film. But it had Eve Marie Saint and James Garner. Uh, Toshiro Mifune is in the film. He's a great Japanese actor. He had a, a supporting role as a race team owner. Uh, it was shot in Super Panavision 70. So they made very few films in 70 millimeter, and they released it in Cinerama where they had, it was actually three projectors that took to, to do the image yeah. on one screen. So it was like a big wraparound Cinerama screen. How the West Was wow. Won was one of the movies yeah. shot in Cinerama. But the driving was kind of cool in it. And I rem- and James Garner was kind of young and handsome, handsome. And, and, and really neat. But it, w- it was nominated, I think, or it won three Academy Awards. Wow. Uh, uh, and, and Grand Prix was kind of a big deal at the time. And, of course, in all those movies, you wait for the Rex. And in these movies, when they have wrecks, it's always a tragic Project. outcome, mm-hmm. not just a wreck. And mm-hmm. so, so I, I, th- I think of Rush. I think of Bobby Deerfield. I what think about, of Grand Prix. What about the Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman? Well, that's NASCAR. So we can get it. We can get into that. Oh, okay. Well, let's just go to Ricky Bobby. <laughs> let's go all the way to Ricky Bobby, where we pray to baby Jesus. That's right. Yeah, I'm a smoking hot wife. <laughs> I'm on fire, Ricky Bobby. You know, there's a Tom Cruise reference in Ricky Bobby. I'm on fire. Help me, Tom, God of Tom Cruise. Oh, I'm on fire. (laughs) I didn't realize that. As he runs around, you know, the runway with it, or he in his his tidy whities. You're not on fire, Ricky Bobby. (laughs) Help me, help me, God of Tom Cruise. Sorry. Yeah, no, but you know, and I think the I think NASCAR films are actually have always been done better than Formula One films, Mm -hmm. and they just have done the thing, and also. 
Because the a Le Mans race is a road race, not an oval. Right. I, 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 it's harder as a camera and also for camera crews to pick up all that. That's what was kind of interesting, yeah. and I think we're gonna we're gonna get into the actual race a little bit yeah. um, after we talk about Zonin. But but just to see kind of how the track worked, because it's not like going to a NASCAR race and sitting in the stands, because you can see pretty much the whole track at a NASCAR race, yeah. or at least at, at Texas whatever we have here. Yeah, Texas, Texas Motor, Motor Speedway. Speedway. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of a, a fun thing. It was like, oh, wait, where'd they go? But we walked into the hospitality suite, and there's a bunch of Zonin stuff. So, yeah. So we uh, we were invited by Zonin uh, 1821 to to be their guests at this event. And we'll we'll get into a little bit of, of how they are involved with it in just a, a bit. But I did want to talk about Zonin first. Um, they're kind of known for, for their great, lively, fresh, refreshing um, effervescent sparkling Prosecco. And, and that's what I've kind of always known them as. But they have been around, uh, they've been vintners since 1821, seven generations of winemakers, predominantly in uh, northern Italy. Um, they've owned and operated the Casa Vincola Zanin. And um, their their motto kind of around their Prosecco, which is how I think we love to 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 believe and, and live also, is just to enjoy the simple moments in life. And that's obviously with great um with great wine, great sparkling wine. But it's it's not just enjoying the wine. It's what you're doing with it. It's it's enjoying the food, it's enjoying the atmosphere, it's enjoying life, it's enjoying your friends and your family. And all of that kind of comes comes out, I think, in each one of their wines. They uh, have nine different wineries in their portfolio. Um, I want to say they they have almost eighteen hundred acres of land under vine throughout Italy, which that's is a lot. that's a lot. They are the the largest family owned uh, winery with that much land which is impressive cuz you know you think Antonori or you think Allegrini there's some mm-hmm. there there's some big family properties there but i think that because they're they make wines um really all over italy and and operate so much um and have so many vineyards that that kind of gives them that distinction but um but even with that much wine they are kind of known for um for being a very kind of elegant and refined and vibrant, um, affordable, but but there's there's definitely a, a true sense of class and elegance to the to their wines, and and I think that really comes. Through. We had quite a bit of it. We did. We enjoyed, it. and you know what? Give me a bubble any day, and I'm happy. When you're at the um, racetrack and they hand you a bubble, and you just want to drink, you just want to drink Zan and Prosecco all day. Sign sad. me up. I'm, I love a, I love a good Prosecco. Well, the nice thing about it too is that they are known kind of for their their Zan and Cruvée um, blend, widely available. I think. It's maybe the fifteen dollars a bottle, but a few years ago they introduced a new line that that I found very fun and and interesting, both for the flavor as well as just kind of basic education. Because um, I'm always looking for that, so they introduced their Zanin Prosecco White, Gray, and Black, and basically it takes the traditional um, Prosecco variety, which is a grape as well as as the actual sparkler, um, and blend in a touch of the kind of classic champagne varieties or the the, the varieties that you could use in champagne as well as in um, 
and the sparkling wines of Italy, specifically in French Corda. Um, they, they blend in a little bit of Chardonnay with their white, a little bit of Pinot Gris with their um, gray, because the actual color and a little bit of Pinot Noir with the black. And it's based on the actual color of the grapes when they're ripe. Because if you look at a Pinot Gris, a Pinot Grigio grape when it's ripe, it's actually a little bit gray. And traditionally, yes, in Champagne, you don't find a lot of Pinot Gris. I think that they can use a little bit. Usually it's Pinot, uh, Pinot Meunier that they blend in that's also a little bit gray. Is this a normal practice? It's not. It's something that they've kind of created oh. um, for this Prosecco line. Um, it's... it's uh, and and it's the idea is if you have a chance to drink all three side by side, can you actually pick up the differences? And I think you can. I think that that's what's fun because the Chardonnay is going to add a little bit more um, apple notes and tropical fruit notes. The the Pinot Grigio is going to be much um, juicier, maybe a little bit riper. The nice thing I think I've always liked about Zona Prosecco is it is a very dry. Uh, prosecco. Some proseccos can be really um, a, a little bit too fruit forward, whereas I, I find theirs to be nice, very dry brute style. Um, but this a little, you know, adding just a touch of these additional varieties just makes makes them interesting and special. You do get kind of some of the red apple and red cherry and red berry notes with the Zon and Black that that I think is kind of fun. So. Yeah, and it was really tasty. <laughs> oh, I would like to revisit that Prosecco. I, I could revisit that. Right and then now. all of a sudden, me, me. <laughs> then there's a, here comes the car. So let's let's car. take a break. When we come back, our personal experience at the Lone Star Le Mans. Yeah. A little bit about Ferrari, a little bit about Italy. A lot about the racetrack when we come back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. Welcome back, everyone, to Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing and our personal experience at the Lone Star Le Mans at the Circuit of the Americas racetrack in Austin, Texas. Uh, we, were, we, were, we were down there as guests from our good friends at Zonin. Yes. And uh, we drank Prosecco and we drank some wine, but we really had an experience that I thought was rather stunning. Uh, we do look at each other every now and then and say, how are we here? We I have kind of pinch me moments. <laughs> I mean, just recently in Sonoma, and, and then we're at a racetrack, and there goes a car at 140, 160 miles an hour, and it's not your normal car. But but it's it was really fun to be there, and our and our hosts were just spectacular. So gracious, so wonderful. We had the best time with them. So thank you again to, to the whole Zonin team. But but it's kind of a cool thing, and, and it's... It, is it was something completely um, off off my radar, not really something that I ever thought I needed or I was going to have an opportunity to experience. And all of a sudden, here we are. Um, how Zanin got involved, though, is that just over a year ago they partnered with Ferrari. Which, if you're going to do Lone Star Le Mans, let's do it with Ferrari. Well, also everything is so Italian influenced well, I, at yes, these races. Very, very much. I mean, so. that's the center of the universe at Formula One. Yes. Yes. And um, so with this particular car, the and we use I I can't pronounce it correctly. It's this. Scuderia. Yes. Scuderia Corsa. Thank you. I I am not Italian. Um. They created this partnership to um, kind of be one of the sponsors for the car and have traveled throughout um, the United States with with this car on this circuit with their two drivers. Sometimes they have three. They're getting ready to do a 10-hour race or a 1,000 miles <laughs> um, at the Petit Le Mans. Um, this, I'm pretty sure it's this weekend that they'll have three drivers for, but, um, and, and Alessandro Balzan is one of theirs. He's an Italian, has been with them for a few years. They also have 
one of the youngest female drivers that is is kind of making history right now, which is really exciting. Her, her name is Christina Nielsen. Uh, she's 25 years old. Yes. She's tall. tall. She's Scandinavian by birth. Alessandra is very short, so which I found really interesting because you can't move the seat in these cars. No, and they don't have horns. <laughs> right, yeah. but but you can move the pedal. So, you know, when they make this switch, I think, Christina, the, the race we saw was two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah, two hours that. and 45 minutes. Um, and Christina drove, I want to say, for 45 or 50 minutes of yes. that. And so in the process of kind of when they came in for, for their pit stop, in addition to changing out tires and giving – fuel fast they they have to change the pedals really quick which because the driver jumps in and he's really short he's little wouldn't reach but but um (laughs) so they they kind of created this this partnership and their team is doing it's it's amazing for for such a young team um they came in third place for the race that we saw we're Uh gonna talk about the race in two seconds but they're on track right now to win the, to secure the GT Daytona Championship. Um, this race, the Petit Le Mans, I, th- I think will will they'll they will win. And if they if don't they, wreck, I think they're if, only yeah yes. they only need like two or three points, which I don't understand. Admittedly, all of the how it's not just driving across the finish line; right. you get points for wherever you. And, and by the way, uh, if you're into this racing, just realize I, I know already that we are not the experts here. We know a lot about foam and a lot Hello? about wine, and this first time experience really was transformational. Oh, for us. I thought it was just—it was amazing. So, and so, the car is awesome. The team is great. The bubbles are fantastic. But the girl. And and that's the the whole team, they just seem to really come together. And she is a she's a rock star and and excited and kind of giddy and 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 charming. We had we got to kind of go down and watch the car being built. So they they move the car obviously from place to place and race to race, um, driving it across the country. Yeah, they have to assemble it. And so parts we, of it, we yeah. watched this car being assembled and he and it's so light. That's what was so fascinating. Right. So had a chance to kind of, of of see the car and go down to pit row and see all the cars. You learn um, right away when you walk them and go, ooh, that's cool, and you touch the car. They go, don't, don't, don't touch, touch the car. car. Don't touch that Don't car. touch the car. Don't you put take your hands photo. on the car. Yes, don't touch the car. Um, <laughs> and um, But then we got to go down for actually one of their pit stops, uh, which was just invigorating. Because that's when you really you can watch the the race up, and we had a lovely, fantastic seats. And, and we're the, so spoiled; <laughs> we were right in the middle of the straightaway. Uh, but to go down and actually actually kind of be a part of it, and then see the whole team that has has nine screens of a video looking at every single part of the track, and and then you know inside the car and how all of that works. And they were they were testing out their new air cooled. Or refrigerate. I want to say refrigerated because suits. it was probably ninety five degrees. It was ninety five degrees that day in Austin. It's like so one hundred and thirty on the track. On the track, yeah. yeah, it was insane. It's really hot. So that experience of being in the pit stop for you, you couldn't stop smiling. Oh my god, it was so fun, and it was so fast. That's, I mean, the cars are fast, but then just how fast these guys have to work. Right. I mean, they put four tires on in like five seconds. Yes. It was amazing, and then you learn that they go through. Three sets of tires in a rate in a two and a half hour race, and each tire cost about twenty five hundred dollars. So let's just say that Formula One racing is not an inexpensive. It's sport. not inexpensive. It's a little bit more expensive than playing chess. It takes a lot of money, and and uh, I I was so impressed by the power of the cars, and you realize 
when cars go by and you just pray that nothing really happens, but a lot of times when people go to those races, they kind of sit up top and they wait for a wreck and all that stuff. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're down there and you, you just, I can't imagine. I know they're pretty safe in those things. Tragedy happens often, but, uh, and we, there were no wrecks that day. And of course, this kind of style of racing doesn't lead to as many wrecks as an oval does. Well, that's what was interesting because from where the kind of, um, start point was and yeah. from our vantage point is, is this kind of straightaway and then a very big hill yeah. and you have to negotiate you can't be side by side you have to go from 140 car. or 60 to 80 right and make that turn and you have to make an, sure that there's not yeah. a car next to you because one of you is going to go into the wall if there's one so then it's this whole who gets to go in front and how do you negotiate mm -hmm. that and strategy and it's so much different than when i was a kid doing hot wheels it's so much different. But I, I was, I was kind of awestruck by the power of the cars and the engines and how much power, uh, you know, when you got your hands on it. I, I, it's something that I probably could not do. Yeah. I could go out on a joyride with a driver and have, and have a blast. Yeah. I've flown with the Blue Angels, but I'm not going to drive that car yeah. at that speed. And for those of you listening that can do that, more power Bravo. to you. Bravo yeah. to you because it's an impressive. We have a friend, Douglas. Is that my? Is that, is that Douglas calling you right that's, now? That's Douglas calling right now. I think I find that amazing. It's a, it's live, isn't that fantastic? I, I, so Douglas, uh, who actually is calling in, uh, Douglas races his circuit a lot, and I, I I I had a lot of respect for Douglas, but never really knew. Man, the next day I'm on the phone with him and texting him saying, I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of skill here. There's a little bit of luck. There's a lot of teamwork. But you better know what you're doing when you get in that car. It's not it's not for somebody just to, to get going. And this is such a high level of racing anyway. It's a three and a half mile you know road track. I I'm I was, was kind of awesome. overpowered. Yeah, for it. it was it was a really and really I can take that noise all day long of them going around. And, you know, I appreciated the earplugs. I, I liked that that was the first thing they handed you when you entered the the hospitality suite. You get a bubble and you get some earplugs. So if they if you got invited to go on a going along ride. On one, in one oh of, sure, I think that would be fun. Yeah, because yeah. that's I I remember back in the day when when Dallas first got Texas Motor Speedway, um, or or we first opened the track, and I was working at Channel Eleven and had a chance to go out and and experience NASCAR, kind of from the inner field vantage point, and it was fun. Yeah, I mean, because it's I know completely different sport and i get this but my aunt um has always loved polo she was a member of the houston polo club for for many years you just I, made a polo reference it, talking about cars and polos i know very but but also a lot of italians in that sport as yes well. um and argentines and texans but they're uh but to feel to to be able to sit close and because mickey's box was right up right up front and feel the power of those horses going at full speed running past you similar to horse racing but i've never been quite that close in a in a horse race but it's thundering but it is it shakes your whole body and that's the that's the adrenaline that's the fun part i think of 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 why these sports can be so mm -hmm. um enticing and I like that exciting first, i like that first time experience yeah. of just going the first time that car went by at 140 miles an hour I'm so in. all of the people that have been there before are all waiting for your first reaction. Yeah. And when they go by and they look at you like, isn't that cool? cool? And you go, oh my God, yeah. I want to go outside. Yeah. 
because it does. It shakes you to the core. It's pretty amazing. So uh, uh, thank great you. Experience. Yeah, thank you to Zon and a, a really great time in the Ferrari uh, team. And wow, that was just that was something else. It was incredible. Hey, so next week on Wine and Film: A Perfect Pairing, we're going to share a little bit about two of the finest people in their craft. They are legendary. It's director Steven Spielberg, who is iconic to me, and I know iconic to you, Haley. It's the late, it's the great Robert Mondavi of Robert Mondavi Wine. We're going to explore both those lives and both those careers next week. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Mm -hmm. But for more on any of the wines or films we talked about today, please check our blog on our website, and you can find a link on our Facebook page, Cogill Consulting. Um, and to see what we're drinking and watching now, be sure to follow me in, on Twitter and Instagram at Dallas Uncorked or follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Cogill. And with that, I'm Gary Cogill. And as usual, I'm looking for the next great film. And I'm Haley Hamilton Cogill, and I'm always in search of a great glass of wine. Join us next time on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. <laughs>